welcome to the Biohacker's Guide for Women Only. You are listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman. I am Jessica Fernandez-Cruz. And I am Yen B. Trung. Life extension, longevity, biotech, digital health technology, and prevention are all the fields of health that we've been working in for over 15 years. We've worked alongside world-renowned physicians, Nobel laureates, experts, and top biohackers. We were at the forefront of a lot of the science that is being used today for biohacking. Our mission is to bring to you all this knowledge and information and create a biohacking community for women. Join us today on our journey into biohacking our bodies. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome, Wonder Women. Here we are again with another Wonder Woman conversation. Today's going to be a very special day. We have an amazing Wonder Woman with us. But before that, I want to say hello to Yemvi. How are you doing, Yemvi? Good. How are you, Jessica? It's great to see you as always. I'm doing great. Doing good. Thank you. <laughs> so guys, get excited because today we're going to have an amazing conversation with a woman that I admire very much. She's just this energy, just right there, the ball of energy and, and youth. And with her, everything is like, let's do this. Let's have fun. Let's work our best. And I always feel this great energy when I'm with you. But not only that, you're a wise woman, a very bright and brilliant doctor. And we're very lucky to have you here, Marcella. Welcome, Marcella Young. Dr. Marcella Young, <laughs> good to see you. Thank you. Thank you both. It's, it's great being with you. It's great to see you. It's great to, you know, have an opportunity to share some of the things we're going to share today. I think that is my passion to let everybody know what we're going to share today. Aha uh ha. So, well, we're very lucky to have you in the room because Marcella, for those who don't know that, is well, she's the one of the number one age management doctors in the United States and Spain and in Argentina. So we can ask her actually anything we want about aging and youth and age management. And so we're very excited about this conversation. I'm sure the Wonder Women that are listening. So very curious to know, you know, what can we do to work on, on our aging process as women? What are the things that we need to know? So if you want, let's get started. <laughs> Let's do it. Lots to talk about. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with the beginning. You came to the United States from Argentina? That's correct. Yes. And tell us a little bit about your story. How did you become an age management doctor? Well, I, I went to medical school in Argentina and University of Buenos Aires. And I always wanted to do my training, my residency in the U.S. So I went through all the steps, many steps, many, many, until I was accepted. And my first residency was in obstetric and gynecology. And then after that, I wanted to do something a little bit more generalize and learn about internal medicine, did a residency in internal medicine. And in 2011, I wanted to learn more about prevention. Throughout my career, I learned a lot about diagnosing 
diseases and how to treat them successfully, I'm glad to say, but very little about prevention. But I've always been very passionate about preventive medicine, and I really strongly believe it's the medicine of the future. And so in 2011, I seek further studies and training on age management medicine, uh, which is a new branch of medicine that is 100% proactive. So I always like to compare internal medicine and age management medicine so people can understand the differences because we hear a lot about prevention, but truly what we do, even when we do our annual physicals, it should not be called prevention. It should be called early diagnosis because if we have a mammogram or we have a colonoscopy or we have a pap smear or men have a PSA and it's abnormal, we are really confronted with the problem. So then we react. We react and we intervene because obviously what we want is to diagnose those diseases early with therefore increasing the chances of cure. But it's really not prevention. It's really not true prevention. So when I talk about age management medicine, which I have now incorporated into my internal medicine practice, I call that proactive. I call that personalized. I call age management precision, precision medicine. And when we talk about precision medicine, we talk about really, really digging into each and every one of us, because we're all different. We're all very different. We all have different genomes. We all have different genes. And anything from the medicines that we take to how we react to certain diseases, to what diseases are we predisposed to, is all in our genetics since the moment that we're born. So getting to the base, so the molecular base, and fixing what we need to fix that we'll explain a little bit later, is going to truly lead us to live long, but live long healthy. Our goal is to live healthy until the last day. So we're not after longevity. We, of course, if you are healthy, you're going to live longer. But our main goal is to help people live well until the last day. With our incapacities, without diseases, without dependencies, and just enjoy life fully. And that is a, a very comprehensive approach, but that's that's pretty much the story of where I am today. And we love the concept of enjoy life fully because we want to thrive. We say here, we want to thrive and we're looking for the ways to thrive. What are the things we need to learn from you and know? So this is a great introduction. Thank you so much for that. Yemi, you want to ask a question to our Dr. Marcella? Yeah, I, I think our audience is our female over the age of 35. And I think that's where your clinic really addresses or, and we went over your website and you talk a lot about after the age of 35, this is when aging and prevention needs to start happening and start focusing on. And so what is it for our listeners of all range in age, but at the age of 35, what happens, would you say it starts to happen with the body and specifically for the female body? And what do we as women need to understand at that age? And then 40 and 45 and 50, is, is there a timeline where things start to significantly happen starting at the age of 35? Yes, that's a great question. 
It's a long answer, so I'm going to try to make it short. <laughs> I really think that when we study age management medicine, when I when I did my training, the focus was in recognizing what happens to the body, what are the changes that happen internally in the body that lead us to aging. And I'm going to pause for a second, and I am going to define aging because in many people's mind, aging has a negative connotation. Aging, uh, number one, in many for many people, is inevitable. Aging brings images of poor quality of life, diseases, dependencies, etc. And this is not true. This does not need to happen. So I always like to say, push the pause button in what your concept of aging is. And just let me take maybe 10 minutes or 15 or 20 to explain why we should look at aging in a different way. So this is science has evolved to the point that we now know what causes aging and we are not pre-coded to get old and get sick. And like a genius mentor of mine, Dr. Maria Blasco said once, and I, and I really loved it. She said, humans don't have a terminator gene. There's not a gene in our bodies that is a terminator gene that lead us to get old and to get sick and old and the concept of sickness. Now, the passage of time is inevitable, but how our cells react to that and how they get older is now to a great degree under our control because we know what are the changes in the body that lead to the cells becoming less functional all the way to our organs malfunctioning and therefore the developing of the signs and symptoms of aging and lately the appearance of the diseases. So all these changes start happening from birth, Jamie. It's really at age 30 to 35 that they start becoming more evident. And I want to introduce the audience, because I know both of you ladies know about this, about a word, and that word is telomeres. In 2009, three brilliant scientists won the Nobel Prize. Many other brilliant scientists have been after this for many years, but the Nobel Prize was awarded in 2009. And what they discover is that the cause of aging is a shortening of something called telomere. So to make it simple, in each of us, in each cell of our body, have 23 pairs of this structures called chromosomes. And these structures are basically the carrier of our genes, of all our genetic information, from the one that tells us our hair is dark or our eyes are blue, to the ones that tell us that one day we're going to be developing a cardiovascular disease, or in another person could be diabetes, or in another person could be dementia. All the diseases of agents as we know them, we are pre-coded even from birth to which disease are we going to develop. However, if we maintain these little structures at the end of this, there's something that protects this little carrier from getting short like a shoelace, think of it as the plastic end of a shoelace. 
The plastic end is there to protect the shoelace from shredding. So these little cups of the chromosomes are there to protect the genetic information from activating itself, from causing the disease. So in humans, and like unlike other mammals in our planet, we start shortening or we start losing that protection at the moment of birth. With each cell divisions, and our cells are constantly dividing, but obviously the longer we are alive, the more cell divisions. And with each cell division, those little protectors called telomeres get shorter and shorter and shorter. So in between 35 years of age, 35 and up, we start seeing them get into a critical longitude in which it no longer can protect this genetic information. And therefore, that's the time of life in which we need to start really working at it because it is not casual that we tend to see the majority of illnesses start occurring at age 45 and above. Of course, children get sick and younger adults get sick as well. And we can talk about that because lifestyle, environment plays just as an important role as everything the science is now explaining. So, you know, I would say 50-50, 50% of what happened to us in terms of aging and diseases is genetic, but 50% of it is lifestyle, is lifestyle. So you see people that could have the same chronological age, let's say 45, and have a body of a 65-year-old in terms of health or illnesses. So it's not just as much as how we look, but it is what's happened internally, and that is the long answer to why 35 and above, because the cells have had time to replicate and reproduce enough to lose that protection of the genetic material. So what you're saying is between the age of 30 and 35, there's a point where it just it becomes overbearing for the body or the cells. It's replicated as so much that that's when you start seeing the difference in your body. Think about it, this protector telomere starts getting shorter the moment we're born. And with each cell division, it gets a little shorter and a little shorter and a little shorter to the point that it gets, you know, we don't want it to get to the point that it's critically short. We want to start before that. And age 30 to 35 is before that with the idea that we don't want to get critically short because we don't want our genetic information to become unstable and start causing disease. Now, everything that I'm explaining is at the very deepest genetic molecular level. We're talking about what's happening in the nucleus of each and every cell of our body. But there are a lot of other things that also contribute to that. We talk about lifestyle, and now I think this conversation is going to lead us to what other changes internally occur that lead to the shortening of the telomeres and the appearances of the diseases. And we talk about metabolic and hormonal changes as one of the things we need to be looking into early on. We call this biomarkers of aging. So we need to look at biomarkers of aging to diagnose them and detect them and modify them and bring them back to normal so our cells can continue functioning the way they did when we were 20 years old. There's a reason why there is no disease at that age, with some exceptions, 
there is a reason why the body works perfect. It's almost compared to the engine of a car when it's brand new, right? It has all these moving parts that need to talk about each other and communicate. There's all these, you know, different fluids that that they need. And as we begin to lose them, just like a car begins to lose them, we need to tune them up. We need to bring them back to what they were at the very beginning so we can allow each cell of our body to continue to function properly, to avoid the malfunctioning of the cells and the organs and the diseases. Thank you, Marcella. This is a great way of helping us understand, right, how the aging process starts and what's the core of it. It's very interesting. I I remember at LifeLink, we had this thing that was like, the three things you need to keep in mind is how you live, where you live, and who you are. And how you live would be that lifestyle that we're talking about, where you live is the environmental impact on you, and who you are is your DNA. We need to understand your genes, right? The core of your body. So these three things. I like that. (laughs) It's put in very simple words, right? We can all relate to that. (laughs) So having said this, I, I do think that as women, there are things that we should know about our aging process. I feel this is my personal question. You know, I don't think that we look at aging the same way as men, but I don't know if this is a belief or if this is true that we age differently because our hormones behave differently or not. What should we know about this? Well, I think that the aging process is the same for women and men. Hormonally speaking, in my opinion, the most difficult stage of a woman's life is perimenopause. When we reach menopause, everything is very obvious. And it is the first time in life in which we really is very clear that something is really changing in our bodies. We start noticing all these very, very strong signs and symptoms that something is different. However, there may be 10 to 15 years before menopause in which you are going through a staging with your hormones are not regulated. For instance, everybody knows that, you know, getting pregnant after 35 and above, although it's very possible, even later than that, you know, you can get pregnant even when you're 50, which is (laughs) a surprise, (laughs) a big surprise. However, what happens is that we stop ovulating regularly. Just like if when we were 20, we ovulated every single month, we had regular periods, we ovulated, we felt great, everything was good. When we stop ovulating or when we skip ovulations, we have one month in where we ovulate, another month in which we don't ovulate, and so on and so forth. We start having what's called anovulatory periods, and we start having a really imbalance of our hormones. So all the three, you know, I like to call it the symphony of the hormones, is not longer present. And therefore, all the symptomatology that women feel which unfortunately many times is misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed with you're getting older or you're too anxious or you have fibromyalgia or you have, you know, you need to take this little chill pill or, you know, all the things that happen are really very easily corrected by bringing your hormones, like I was saying earlier, bringing your hormones to what they were when you were 20. And therefore, your body is going to function again 
the way it did when you were 20. Now, that could be a difference about men and women. This stage is 10 to 15 years before menopause. is a lot more obvious on women than it is in men. There's also the common concept of it's much more accepted in women to go through menopause or perimenopause than there is in men to recognize that there is a stage of their life that is called andropause, although it's just as real as menopause. But it is just more of a concept, I think, in people's mind than it is what's really happening to the body. The aging process is the same for men and women. This is fascinating. Thank you, Marcela. This makes me think a lot now. (laughs) (laughs) That's the idea. (laughs) That's the idea. I'm sure our listeners are thinking too. (laughs) Go ahead, Yevi. I do have a question regarding perimenopause itself and the stages leading up to the menopause and how genetically related it is. So I believe the average age for a female to go through menopause is around 52 currently in the United States. And for example, my mother went through menopause at the age of 38, right? So she had a premature menopause and she came from a third world country. And so that could be related to malnutrition in, in third world countries or whatnot or stress levels. And so what are the determinants of, of menopause itself? Is it more lifestyle related or is it more genetically related? Or is it more stress related, meaning lifestyle, I guess? nutrition, those type of things? Or is there anything that women can think about and understand what, what, you know, do they look at their mother and say, my mom went through menopause at 50, so I should be around that age. What should they look at to, to know when and at what point in life they may be expecting it? Okay. So if we look at menopause as a, a stage of life, the average you write is around 52, but it could, it could be as early as your mom, or it could be as late as 55 or 56 or even 57. I don't think I've seen anybody older than 57 that had not gone through menopause. So genes do play a role. We do in observational studies, we do see women that have their mothers or their siblings female siblings go through menopause earlier, they tend to go through menopause earlier. Honestly, we do not know the reason for that. We also see women that have their uterus removed, but not their ovaries, go through menopause earlier. Of course, if you have a complete hysterectomy in which they remove your ovaries as well, you go into instant menopause. But we do see, and there's really not evidence, scientific evidence to answer why. But we do see in observational studies that that happens. Now, in terms of hormones in general, there are many factors. You mentioned stress. Stress does play a role in how the pituitary gland functions. The pituitary gland is is the mother gland that we have in our brain that controls the function of all the peripheral glands. So we're talking about now a sexual hormone. So we're going to talk about the ovaries or the testicles in, in men. And we do see that stress, significant stress, like all life altering stressors have a negative impact in this communication mechanism between our brain mother hormone and the peripheral 
performance. And we do see that for a very, very clear uh, example is anorexia. And the, the stressors, the significant stressors are associated with somebody that suffers from anorexia. And definitely we see uh, almost in 100% of them a cessation of the periods or um, that is due to a hormonal imbalance. The stress makes us lose the mechanism in which the pituitary communicates with the peripheral glands, the ovaries, and this is a lot more common in women, although it does happen in males as well. Okay, so going into the subject of hormones, we were curious if you could give us a little bit of information around this thing that we hear in age management that's called bioidentical hormones. What is this and how is this related to what we're talking about? Well, first of all, I would like to start answering your question by making a difference between bioidentical hormones and synthetic hormones, because there's a, there are a lot of myths out there about hormones. So to give you a little bit of history, that uh, was in 1991, it started and it went up to 2005, a very large scientific study called the Women's Health Initiative Study that was performed utilizing synthetic hormones. There were hormones derived from pregnant horses. Horses have 12 different types of estrogen. Women have three. So much, much stronger in terms of the amount of estrogen, but also the progesterones that were involved in that study were also synthetics. The study was weeded and criticized extensively because it was not the design of the study uh, really plays a, a very, very important role in the outcomes. So the people that are in the study, and now we're all hearing about studies due to COVID and the pandemic. And it's important to know what a study, you know, how to look at a study. So if you do not choose the population correctly, like happened in the Women's Health Initiative study, in which more than 50% of people had a BMI, a BMI or uh, body mass, mass index consistent with obesity, some of the people that were chosen to be part of this study have never had any type of hormone replacement therapy. And the majority of them were were not screened for other risk factors for heart disease, breast cancer, you know, is what we're going to focus on right now. So, you know, we know that obesity and, la- and bad lifestyle habits will accelerate the shortening of your telomeres. And now everybody knows, I hope, what a telomere is. And when the telomeres are short, our genes wake up and they cause diseases. So we know that bad lifestyle habits have a significant effect on how fast our telomeres are shortened. So when we have a population that we know now that most likely had short telomeres, they are much more likely to develop any type of cancer. So was it a result of the fact that they were given this synthetic hormones? Well, we cannot make that assumption. So I know there is a stigma about the association between of uh, hormones and breast cancer. And I always like to discuss with my patients or my friends, we have hormones all our lives, right? So if hormones would cause breast cancer, we will all have 
breast cancer because we are exposed to estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone all our lives, particularly well, since, since uh, puberty. So it's not, there's not a relationship between hormones and cancer. There is a relationship if a woman develops breast cancer, of course, there is already a genetic mutation in those cells. And those cells with the genetic mutation, meaning they have a different engine, a completely different engine than a normal breast cell, okay? Those cells with a different engine could be fed by estrogen. Therefore, in somebody that had had breast cancer, you do not use uh, estrogen replacement or progesterone replacement. You can use testosterone replacement, and we can talk about that too. But the conclusion is that the use of synthetic hormones, which are significantly stronger than bioidentical hormones, was the reason why we had the negative findings that were that were found or outlined on the results of the Women's Health Initiative study. Now, a bioidentical hormone is a hormone derived from plants and is a hormone that if you are to draw a chemical structure, a formula, is identical to the hormones that are released, uh, and now we're going to talk about women, uh, from the ovaries and the hormones that are released from testicles in men. So the, the chemical structure or the chemical formula, if you go put it in a laboratory, is, is identical. Now, I do want to bring up to the attention that an estrogen is an estrogen, okay? we rather use bioidentical estrogen or bioidentical progesterone, but the risk in those people that have an increased risk for breast cancer or have had breast cancer, and by increased risk, I mean significant increased risk, and we can define that. The fact that the bioidentical hormones are better than synthetic hormones does not take that away. So I want to make that clear because whether the estrogen comes from a plan that you can buy a supplement at a vitamin shop or whether it comes from a bioidentical formulated hormone or whether it's your own estrogen that you're still secreting, it will have the same effect. Okay, but we do feel that the synthetic hormones that were used in that study were particularly the synthetic progesterones, we call them progestins, were responsible for some of the findings. So would you say that if an individual who has a family history of an estrogen-dominant cancer, like breast cancer, for example, or they have you know, uh, a poor lifestyle with smoking and a chronic disease, cardiovascular disease or diabetes or, or whatnot, does not exercise, for example, or if they introduce bioidentical hormones, because that's what, what seems to be more available working with an anti-aging doctor or an age management doctor, there's a preference to bioidentical hormone therapy. Are they more prone and more likely to, to develop cancer because of their lifestyle if they introduce bioidentical hormone therapy? We're going to divide. We're going to make a division. We're going to first talk about those women that have strong genetic predisposition to breast cancer. Okay. So strong genetic predisposition, we refer to a woman whose mother or female siblings, sisters, have developed breast cancer at an early age. That's what brings 
or defines a strong family history and possibly genetic inheritance of those genes. Now, we have 50-50 chances of getting those genes from mom or sister, right? Because, you know, we start with two cells and then we, we split the, the genes in two and, and we may get them or we may not get them. If we're lucky, we didn't get them. However, I think that women with a strong family history, again, strong defined, as I just said, should probably have a serious conversation with their physician as they should do very strong surveillance with mammograms, uh, ultrasounds of the breast, MRIs, etc. And even genetic testing because we can test uh, women genetically to see if they have inherited the variants on the BRCA genes that increase their increase their chances of, of having it. So we this is precision medicine. Before we only used to have the history of well, I know mom had breast cancer and I, that's all I have. But as I mentioned, I have 50-50 chances of getting mom's gene. And so precision medicine takes the guessing out of the picture. Now we can check and see do you have a variant in your bracket gene? or you don't. And then it's a very delicate decision and in which the patient needs to be comfortable if you test someone genetically and they don't have it. But women with a strong family history should be cautious about it. It's a contraindicated, as I explained, if we can de- determine that there is not a genetic inheritance of the variants on the bracket genes, I think it's possible. Now I'm going to go to the other side, which is the lifestyle right? Any disease, the risk of any disease increases when people have bad bad lifestyle or when they make bad lifestyle choices, all of them. Not only breast cancer or any other type of cancer, cardiovascular disease, dementia, because the studies are showing, I mean, there are studies done with poor diets and shortening of the telomeres. There are studies done with stress. Uh, there are great studies done with stress. In fact, one of the scientists that uh, won the Nobel Prize Elizabeth Blackburn had done a wonderful study. One of them was with uh, looking at women that have children with chronic illnesses versus women that have normal children and follow them alone and measure the, lo- the length of the telomeres as protecting caps that keep our gene from becoming active. And it was found that women that have the tremendous stress of having children with chronic illnesses shorten their telomeres quite a bit faster and therefore age age sooner and develop the diseases of aging earlier. This is fascinating, Marcella. There's so much that we could go on and on and on, right? It could be a three-hour conversation. But I would like to just highlight here, so we're talking about hormones as one of the things that we as women sort of speak speak about and we relate to hormones, but since you're an age management doctor, you know, what are other treatments that are out there right now that you use with your patients that you think you guys should know this? And if you're not doing this, it's time to get started with that. Well, I think that I'm going to tie that question uh, with Janvit's question and finish answering. Hormone replacement therapy has a significant amount of benefits and I'm talking about health benefits. Everybody comes to us looking for relief or some symptoms, particularly when menopause presents itself, whether it's heart flash or weight gain or fluid retention or inability to sleep, decreased libido, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And all that gets better, certainly, and we want that to get better and make help people feel great. But there are numerous studies showing how replacement of hormones prevent diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, the, or the neurocognitive decline of aging. Osteoporosis is very well known. So what I would say to women is let's don't wait until menopause to talk to your physician about your hormones, because as I said, the perimenopausal, which could start as early as 35 or 40, is when we all go into what's called estrogen dominance, and which we don't ovulate, so we don't have all three hormones. There are two hormones that are secreted only when we ovulate, and that's progesterone and testosterone. Estrogen, the ovaries march along all the time, secreting estrogen. Uh, but we do want all the three hormones in balance. So I would encourage women to talk to their physician about their perimenopausal stage and what to do about it. I mean, it's very common to see women in their 40s saying, my PMS have gotten horrible, or I cannot lose weight. I do everything that I did when I was 25, and I cannot lose weight, or I cannot sleep, or I'm in this terrible mood, or I have zero interest in sex, you know, and all those things that, you know, are important for our quality of life. And it's just simply sometimes adjusting the hormones. And sometimes there are other things that need to be adjusted, of course, but it, all this could get better. And so let's don't wait until menopause until we start having hot flashes to address that. In addition to hormones, of course, there are, like I said at the beginning, many other changes or biomarkers of aging that uh, we measure in an age management program we see, for instance, uh, insulin levels increasing. And just about we in my practice, and not only in the U.S., but also in Argentina and in Spain, we find approximately 85% of patients that are pre-diabetics. So what is a pre-diabetic person? A pre-diabetic person is a person that eats too many carbohydrates and has insulin resistant because the cells are so used to getting carbohydrates all the time that they're required to secrete too much insulin to bring the blood sugars down. And that is probably one of the worst health conditions you can have. And it's it's so easily reversible. But somebody needs to detect it. Somebody needs to check your insulin levels. You need to know where your insulin levels are. Cortisol. Cortisol is highly inflammatory. Cortisol is something else, is another biomarker of aging. We see cortisol levels going up just simply because our stress levels tend to go up as we get, as we go through life. I don't like to say as we get older, as we go through (laughs) years of life. (laughs) So, you know, there are nutritional deficiencies, vitamin D. Now, everybody knows vitamin D now because of COVID, but, you know, we I would say that almost 100% of people I see are deficient in vitamin D unless they know it and they're taking it. And it's an absorption problem. It's not a sun exposure problem like like we used to think. Uh, It's an absorption problem. And the cells need the vitamins. It's like we were talking about the cars. They need the vitamins. They need the nutrients. uh, They need all these things to function correctly. And when they don't have it, then the problems start. They start malfunctioning. And then years later, we can start seeing the consequences of that. 
So they are the diet, you know, their diet is extremely important. Their exercise, uh, what type of exercise? Genetically now we, we don't have to guess anymore or go for the most popular diet, the keto diet or the Mediterranean diet, which is the best one, by the way, or some, but some people genetically respond better to a diet that is low in fat. And some people genetically respond, and I'm talking about weight maintenance, okay? Some people respond better to a diet low in carbohydrates, and some people genetically are right on the middle. So this thing about everybody doing the same diet, you know, again, we take the guessing out of the picture, and now we can check just a little bit a sample of your saliva, and I can tell you just, you know, your diet is right in the middle. You know, you need to be a balance between fats and carbs. And maybe, Yemi, you need to be very careful about carbohydrates. And you two are very different genetic makeups and very different people in every aspect. I laugh because I feel that Yemi and I are so much the same and then so different. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the cells. I'm talking about the cells. <laughs> we can do the same thing with exercise, which I find is fascinating. And I want everybody to know this, you know, people that say, okay, I'm going to start running. I'm going to start running marathons. And next thing we know, we torn the meniscus and, you know, or we hurt our, our knees or our ankles or, well, Genetically, we can tell you what is the right type of exercise for each of and each and every one of us. You can do high intensity, but you you should not do high intensity. You should do medium intensity. Just your recovery period uh, or or the the your ability to recover for exercise is great, but mine is not. And you know you can have an increase. Uh, gen- and we talk about this is results of genetic testing. Okay. This is precision medicine. You can have an increased risk of musculoskeletal injury, so you have to be careful. You can't go and run marathons. You're better off running short distance if running is what you like to do. So we can really design a precise exercise and diet program or nutritional program for people based on their genetics. And this is why precision medicine is so the medicine of the future and so revolutionary. Yes. yes, I agree completely with you. Completely. Every person is different. That's that's why we we talk about biohacking because there are all these tools that's out there, just like what you've discussed, that people are not aware of and they don't know that it's available to them. And so having a physician such as like such as yourself, knowing what's available and I, I have I have clients for you. I'm a client. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Look forward to seeing you soon. (laughs) So, guys, we're going to have to end because we're towards the end. But I do want to ask Marcella one question. First of all, can you come back? Because we have so many more questions and this was too short. So we want to have you again on our show. (laughs) I will be I will be delighted. I will be very happy to come back because we have so many questions for you. But I want one from you. Like you are a young, thriving Wonder Woman who has <laughs> her own secrets because of all this knowledge and yourself. There's something in you that makes you unique. What is it? What's your secret? Thank you, Jess. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about that. I don't really have a secret, but I think it's not a secret. I think that I have been always been a very positive thinking person. I think that 
things happen for a reason. I think if something goes wrong, I get back up and go because something better is ahead of me. And I also see this with my patients. And there are multiple studies that prove this. Attitude, your attitude, having a positive attitude have a significant effect on your health and your life in general. So I don't have a secret. Of course, I everything I preach, I try my best to do. I'm not perfect, but I try my best to do. And, you know, that's probably, in if I had to think about it, you know, I've been fortunate. And, you know, of course, my my genes are probably my secret. You know, I, I check many of them, but, you know, we all have genes, but I work very hard at keeping my telomeres long. So even if I have a bad gene, we're going to keep it dormant. It's not going to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Keep our telomeres long and keep those genes dormant. We don't want them to wake up. Exactly. The pa- one patient said, let's don't wake up the monster. I said, got it. That's what we're going to work on. <laughs> And Dr. Young, if we have listeners that would like to reach out to you or contact you as their physician or learn more, how do they connect with you? Where can they find you? They could definitely get in touch with me by calling my office. The office in the U.S. is the central office, and I can give you that number. They can find me. uh, They can look at my website. There is a contact form. And just in every page of the website, <laughs> which uh, it, that it would send me a, an email that you're interested in more information or you're making an appointment, and we respond that way. Our our phone number is in the U.S. is eight six four three six five zero one zero zero, and that's in the U.S. So if you are come calling from abroad, is of course uh, plus one. A six four three six five zero one zero zero. My email is an my uh, website is another really nice way to do it. Sometimes I talk to my patients directly through WhatsApp because a lot of them are outside live outside the United States, so we communicate directly and they talk directly with me. This is something you know that is it's a little bit difficult to explain, so I like to talk to my patients directly. If patients live in the U.S. and they want to make an appointment, calling the, the office directly probably is the best way. Okay. And the website is greenvillehmanagement.com if anybody wants to look you up. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marcella. This was exciting. What can I say? I'm ready to stay young and healthy. And I think Yemvi is in. <laughs> life, is, life is too beautiful to, and we need to live it at the fullest for uh, as long as we can. And that, in my opinion, I am 100 convinced that we can do that until the last day. Let's work at it. You're welcome. It's great to see you both. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marcella Young. Yemvi, take care. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Women, the podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community. If you haven't yet, join our private Facebook page and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Wonder Women conversation. Our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any question you may have regarding a medical condition.